Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone with us this morning. You know yourself by name. Good morning. Glad to have you. Glad to see you. I want to say happy birthday to my mother. Today is her birthday. She celebrates. Should I tell him the number or is it a secret? She Today, she's 69 years of age. She looks fabulous for her age. Because I remember growing up and look, seeing my, uh, my grandmother by my father's side. She died at the age of 69 and she looked so old. At the age of 15, she looked, when I was 15, she was 69. She looked so old. But this eve, this morning, I have the privilege of looking at my young mother and saying to her, happy birthday, 69 looks good on you. Or you make 69 look, look good. I think it's more God, pressing. You make 69 look good. And so the, I just want to congratulate you for maintaining your walk with God. Because I think if you weren't serving the Lord, you'd have looked old. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a renewed youth that comes. The renewedness, the new birth, the new, the new life that brings all of that freshness. And so, Father, this morning, I thank you for allowing me to have my mother. At my age, many lose their parents at an early age. But, Lord, I am blessed. I am favored by you this morning to have my mother at my age. Still young, still able to move, Father. For that, I give you thanks. And so, Father, as I'm about to share your word, Lord, I just give you access to my mind. I give you access to my mouth. Actually, God, not access. You take full control. Access means that I am lending you parts. No, you take full control of everything that concerns me. Lord, may every word I speak, Lord, be your words. May any word, Father, God, that is diluted, as Tashina just mentioned, any word, Father, that I would have lessened, any words, Father, God, that I would have put in because of my intellect as opposed to your wisdom, God, May I overlook them? You speak this morning, Father, so your children will hear your voice. God, cause their hearts to be receptive and be open to what you have to say. And so, Father, I give you thanks. Let it not only be about obedience, but let it be about yielding to you this morning. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So Tashina read the scripture for us this morning from James 4, verses 1 to 12. But I'm going to focus on James 4, verses 1 to 10. And the truth is, if I had my own way, I would have stopped at verse 6. Because it is so much in James 4, so much. And I think I'm going to go over it, it's so much. So last week, we observed in James verses 14 and 16 that the presence of envy, selfish ambition, jealousy, disorder and evil practices indicate that th there is earthly worldly, demonic and unspiritual wisdom so James is saying if you find that you're jealous if you find that you're envious if you find that you're motivated to do things for self if you find that you have evil practices, James says, your wisdom is not from God. It's earthly. 
It's demonic because it's aligned to the devil. It is unspiritual because it's operating from logics. And it is earthly, not heavenly. And it's worldly, not godly. This week, through James 4, verses 1 to 10, James begins to urge believers to, to that place of being contrite. He says, contritely submit. So this week, we want to look at the kind of person that James is speaking to this morning is the kind of person that contritely submits. To contritely submit means to willingly and humbly yield or surrender by acknowledging one's faults, accepting the responsibility for one's actions, expressing genuine remorse, and, and, and approach the act of submission with a penitent heart. I will repeat. For you and I to be contra to contrastly submit, there must be a willingness. Humility must be present. Not only should we be humble, but we would yield and surrender, recognizing that we have a fault. We have flaws. We have been introspective. We have identified the areas where we need to grow. We take full responsibility for our actions. And then in genuine remorse, we go before the Lord and we repent. But we come with a penitent heart. That is what contritely submit means. James points out that among believers, conflicts such as fights and quarrels arise when there is the presence of evil and he calls it selfish desires or evil desires so what is a desire a desire is an intense craving or longing that drives an individual to do something to get something to to get the satisfaction and the pleasure and the possession it desires it is driven by the sinful nature so you and I, you sometimes use the word desire loosely. James is saying, once your desire is evil, once your desire is selfishly driven, it is not from God. It is being motivated by a sinful nature. I remember having a conversation with my counselor, maybe in two years ago, and she blew my bubbles by saying to me, Ava, your motive is not 100% pure. She said, everything that you want to do for God and all that you have already done and all that you want to do is not driven from a place of 100% pure motive. There is that desire in you that wants to be significant. There is that desire in you that want to, 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 to experience love because when you give, you experience love from people. There is that desire that is driving you to do something. And I would say the same to you this morning. There is in you and I that the self sinful desire that even though we are believers, there is that sinful, selfish desire that drives us. And according to James, desires will motivate believers to go beyond coveting to go beyond envying that he spoke about in James 3, to go beyond being jealous, it will drive you to kill. It will drive you to quarrel. It will drive you to have fights and to wage wars against other believers. 
I will remind you that James is not written to the unsaved. James was being written to believers who were scattered in, 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 in Rome, scattered all over the place. They call it the Jewish diaspora, if my pronunciation is right. So James is saying to you and I, he said, in, in the midst of you accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, in the midst of you confessing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, there lurk the selfish and the evil desire that must be addressed. And so James calls you and I this morning to be introspective. He calls us to look within ourselves and to see what is lurking, what is driving, what is motivating. Why are you doing the thing that you are doing? This morning, I want to make my first claim to you. James said the kind of person who contractly submits is able to identify the root of their conflict. In essence, James is saying, for you and I to, to, to contractly submit, to yield, to humbly place ourselves before God with a penitent heart, we have to be at that place where we can identify the root cause of what is driving us, the root cause of our action, the thing that motivates us. According to Bob Beale, he says, why you do what you do. James 4 speaks to the heart of human struggles. He said, in the, the heart of men lies conflicts, desires and need to draw near to God. However, also in that same heart is the desire and the need for selfish motives. In verses one and three that Tashina read for us, James highlights the conflict that exists within the Christian community. And he identified the root cause of the conflict as the unbridled desire for things or the selfish desire or the evil desire. James says the problem that is you're being faced with is because there is the desire that is the desire that is motivating you is not from God. It is evil. It is selfish. It is, it is, it is unbridled. It has no limit because it is motivated to only with me in mind. James asked, what is causing the fights and quarrels among you? And yeah, I want you to think about it. What causes the quarrels and fights among you, in your hearts, with your sisters and brothers, with your biological sisters and brothers, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, what is causing the fights within you? Do you think fights and quarrels just happen between Christians without any reason? Aren't fights and quarrels motivated by a desire or a tension within your heart and within my heart? James uses the word fights and quarrels to express the conflict, wars, controversies, animosities, hostility, and bad feelings that exist among the scattered Christians. Their conflict was interfering with the peace and the harmony within the church. They were no, no longer united because wherever there is fight and quarrel, there no longer can be unity. 
James encourages them to identify the root of the conflict by being introspective. And I ask you to do that before. Check. Think about the person that you're having a conflict with now. Think about the person that there is animosity between right now. Think about the person that your feelings towards them is not good as it used to be right now. James is saying to you and he's saying to me, the conflict that you're facing right now is destroying, disrupting the harmony, the unity, and the peace within the church. He's saying that not only about the, the larger church, but he's also speaking about the local church. Wherever there is disunity, there is no peace. When you and I interface or intermingle or, or communicate with others, what attribute of God's peace or what attribute of God is left? What attribute of God is demonstrated in your life and through your life that those who just interacted with you will say, oh, I'm experiencing God's presence because I interacted with her, with him. James says to us this morning, he says, behind Every conflict, behind every quarrel, every fight, there is an individual's underlying desire that is influenced by something earthly, something evil, something worldly, something demonic, something unspiritual. James is saying that behind every negative desire, every selfish desire that motivates you to quarrel, that motivates you to be hostile, that motivates you to be in the midst of a conflict. There is that underlying influence of something that is not from God. Because James is saying, wherever God is, there is peace. We learned last week that wherever God is, there was mercy. There was love, there was peace, there was consideration for others, there was submission, there was sincerity, there was impartiality, there was righteousness. And we also learned that where the enemy Satan is, there is mischief, there is quarrel, there is envy, there is selfish ambition, there is jealousy and a host of evil practices. In verse 2, James continues and he says, you desire, but you cannot get what you want, so you kill. Here, James is suggesting that murder can be fueled by our selfish ambitions and unmet desires and expectations. John Stott suggests that our desires are like an armed camp within us, ready at a moment's notice to declare war against Anyone who stands in our way or, or who stand in the way of some personal gratification on which we have set our hearts. What James Stott, John Stott is saying is that I am so moved and so motivated by my desire that when you get in my way, I will do anything to remove you because I want what I want. And he's saying that that's the evil and the selfish motive of the heart. In Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26, Jesus draws a parallel between the judgment associated with murder and the judgment associated with the feelings of anger, derogatory language, insults, 
and name calling to show how serious these actions, attitudes, and emotions can be. Jesus said, guess what? If you are angry with your brother and sister, you are guilty of murder. And the same judgment that the murderer would have gotten is the same judgment you would get. You may ask why, but how can someone taking someone's life be equivalent to someone being angry? Anger is a root that reveals an underlying attitude. Anger reveals the underlying attitude of our heart. It clouds our judgment and it removes the, 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 the ability to think rationally. I heard a story that was repeated to me last night of a man who had a problem with an organization. And he went home one evening, I think, and I'm hoping I'm giving the story right. And he found a man in his house. And he, he beat the man with his fist to a pulp until he died. Because he was angry, he thought that it was the organization who sent the man to his house. He was imprisoned. He later found out that it was not the organization that sent the man to his house, but the man was dead. Anger reveals what is inside of you. So every time you and I get angry, check it. There's something there. Anger didn't just come out of nowhere. There is a root that was, has been growing that was unaddressed. And anger, something now happens and you now become angry. And I become angry and we act upon that anger. Anger heightens our emotional state and escalate conflict. So where a problem occurred before and you could have addressed it with a conversation because there is anger, it is heightened. And now you will have people throwing fists or you'll have persons saying things that they are not supposed to say about each other. James says, you desire, but you cannot get what you want. So you kill for what you want. If you say raka, according to Matthew 5, to a brother or sister, you are guilty of murder and answerable in court. If you call a brother or a sister a fool, James, Matthew tells us, well, Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew that you are guilty of murder and in danger of the fire of hell. If you are in the midst of worship, Jesus says, and remember that someone has something against you. He says, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled with them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly, Jesus says, because if you do not settle the matter, you run the risk of being judged like the murderer. In essence, Jesus is saying that murder is not only the taking of one's physical life. It is being angry with another brother. It is being angry enough that you will call the person names. It is being angry enough that you will gossip and slander them. It is being angry enough that you insult them if you get an opportunity. It is being angry enough to speak all manner of ill against them in their absence. James says the believer who does these acts will receive the same judgment as the individual who physically commits a murder. Throughout history, conflicts, fights, quarrels, and wars between nations often arise due to the ambitions, 
envy or desires of a particular nation or the ruler of the nation. A notable example is the Napoleonic Wars, which persisted because of Napoleon Bonaparte's ambition and desire to expand the French influence. And this morning, out of nowhere, he came to my mind and I had to go and read upon Napoleon. And you would think that having done all of this, all of what Napoleon did was, was what? What, 13, 12 to 13 years of max. All of the, the, the killing and all of the uprising and everything that he did, Napoleon wanted France influence to control entire Europe. You may be thinking that James, by using the word kill is exaggerating a small disagreement or an occasional argument that may turn up in the midst of the church. But James is saying to you and I, if we don't manage that small disagreement, if we don't manage that small and occasional argument, we will get to the place where we'll use our words to kill others. James says you kill because you cannot get what you want, because you have not asked God for what you want. In verses 2b and 3, James gives two reasons why believers' desires are unmet. He said, first, believers do not have because they do not ask God. So I ask you this morning, do you seek God's approval for what you already plan to do? Or do you seeking before you plan to do it? Do you go asking God, God bless, say to God, God bless my plan. Or do you go ask him, God, what is your plan? James says, when you do not ask God, your desires are unmet. So what caused you and I to not ask God for the desires that we have? Could it be lack of faith in God? Do you doubt God's ability and willingness to give you what you desire? What about self-sufficiency? Do you think you can handle it better than God? Or, okay, this is manageable. I don't need God in this situation. I can do this on my own. What about feeling of unworthiness? Do you think that you're undeserving of God's attention and provision? Do you think that God would not spend the time to look at little you? Because sometimes that's how we see ourselves, little me. What about misunderstanding of God's nature? Do you believe that our God is still the unchanging God that James told us about in, in verse in chapter 2? That he's unchanging in his ways? That he loves his love is still unconditional? Not the unconditional love that we read about. It is still on the unconditional love that you and I will experience. Do you misunderstand God's nature because of a childhood wound? A father, a mother, an aunt, an a, a uncle, a, a, a teacher, someone who stood in authority and was not and did not meet your need the way you thought your need should have been met. I remembered, I shared this with you before, I remembered at the age of 16 making a promise to myself that I would never depend on a man. Because my experiences up to that age were negative ones. I felt that I needed to be self-sufficient. I can handle things on my own. I can do it my way. And I remembered when I got saved, I refused to pray and ask the Lord for things 
what I could not provide for myself, I was fine doing without. Until later, I started to experience that God is not like any of my earthly representation. He's not my teacher. He's not my father. He's not my mother. He's not my aunt. He's not my adult neighbor. He's not my grandparents. He's, he is above them in everything that he does. His love has no end. So could it be that you are not asking God because one of these areas you are struggling with? God is saying to you this morning through the book of James, as long as you continue to do things your way, you will have desires unmet. As long as you continue to do it your way, your way will always be influenced by evil and not by good. As long as you continue to do it my way, as the Frank, I think it's Frank Sinatra song says, I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. I have done it my way and I'll continue to do it my way. As long as you're doing it your way, James is saying to you this morning that you will be motivated to do selfish acts. You will be motivated to, do, uh, to have evil desires because it is not from God. Second, James says believers who do not, do not have because they ask God and when they do, they ask with wrong and selfish motives so they can spend what they get on their pleasures. Why would a believer ask God with wrong and selfish motive? What could motivate a believer to ask God and then after asking him, your motive is wrong? James answers the question. He says to spend it on our pleasures. James knows that the human tendency is to seek pleasure and comfort over the concerns of the kingdom of God. James knows that nothing is on your mind and on my mind like our comfort and our pleasure and our need. James knows that when you come to God, you come each time with your need on your mind. He knows we like to show off our possession and our success and our achievement because we have that competitive spirit. And James said, you ask and you do not get because your motive is wrong. James knows that you and I ask to alleviate our, our current discomfort without considering the long-term impact of our request. Some of us want a large house so we can show off on our friends. But the truth be told, we don't like to clean. And James says, so why are you asking for a large house if you don't like to clean? Is it to show off? Is it for your pleasure so that you can show off? James would say to some of us, he said, some of us desire a spouse to alleviate our sexual urges to pay our bills, to have fun with. But we don't want to do the laundry. We don't want to cook. We don't want to clean. We don't want to do what we consider things to make our spouses happy. James says, so, so why do you ask for that? Isn't it only about your pleasure? James would say to us here at NLH, he said, some of us desire to have more money. We desire a better paying job. But James said, but what would you do with that money? Would you give to the kingdom of God? Or would you use it to prove that you can wear the latest style. You have the current things. James says, what use? 
would be with would God open the door for you get more income when you have not proven to God yet that you're a good steward of what you currently have? God may not give us what we do not ask for. And he may not give us what we ask for if our motives are selfish and only for our pleasures. However, God is sure to answer every prayer that, 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 that we pray that serves his purpose and advances his kingdom. You want God to answer your prayer? Pray the prayers that serve his purpose. Pray the prayers that advance his kingdom. Pray the things that are according to God's will. James recognizes that where there is conflict amongst believers, harmony and unity are lacking. James recognizes that the presence of selfish desires indicates that the kingdom of God is never our priority. Once you and I have problems with each other, James is saying to us, God is never your priority because you're not trying to work this thing out. If God is your priority, the kingdom of God is your priority, you'll be working out the issues within, your, within, within, within yourself. James urges his readers to examine our motive. He said, examine your motive. Identify the root cause of your conflict. What is causing the conflict between you and Dot, dot, dot. You fill in the black. Think about it. Is it something that they did, something that they said, something that they have? What don't you like about, and, and why don't you like X, Y, and Z? Dot, 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 dot. Be introspective this morning. Why are you feeling envious, angry, and jealous when you think about that particular person? Your internal conflict and my internal conflict are only affecting the kingdom of God. Your internal conflict with me and anyone else in NLH or within the church body is affecting the harmony of the church. My internal conflict with you and anyone else within the body of Christ is only affecting the harmony of the church. God may never give us what we desire because our motive is wrong. God may never give us what we desire because we have not asked. But as I said to you earlier, God will always respond to the desires that are in alignment with his will. The prayers that are prayed for his kingdom to be advanced. So God don't mind giving you an, a, a, a new job. He doesn't mind giving you an increase in your salary because he knows you're a good steward in the kingdom. God don't mind giving you a husband if he knows that you are going to use your husband. With, it, with your husband, you're going to serve him. God don't mind giving you a, 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 a new, a large six-bedroom house if he knows that this house will be used for his kingdom. But once our desires are motivated by evil and selfish desires, there's no guarantee that we're going to get them no matter how hard we work. My second claim this morning is that the kind of person who contractly submits prioritize their relationship and their friendship with God. In verses four to six, James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? 
Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In essence, James is saying, listen, you can't be a friend of the world and be a friend of God. They're not mutually, they, they are mutually exclusive. He said, anyone, anyone who wants to be friend with the world cannot become a friend with God. Actually, they are enemies of God. He said, or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James warns believers against friendship with the world, describing it as having enmity with God. In verse 7, James rebukes this audience and addresses them as, as, as an adulterous people. Why could James be calling believers? As I said to you before, and I will keep repeating as long as we are in doing any book of the Bible, that the Bible was written for God's people. Therefore, it was never written for the unsaved. So every word is written to you and I to reflect, introspect. James is saying, you adulterous people. Why would James call them adulterous people? Would James call you this morning an adulterous person? Would James, upon seeing your life, write to you, Dear Ava, you're an adulterous woman. Would James, upon inter in, in, interfacing with you, in, mixing with you, communicating with you, realize that you're an adulteress and then write your letter? You adulterous, so and so. James says, when you are friend with the world, you are cheating on God. You are showing that you are that you are spiritually unfaithful. Because in the physical, when our spouses are unfaithful, they are considered adulterous, right? If a husband cheats on his wife, or if a wife cheats on her husband, they call them adulterers. James is saying is the same thing. When you cheat on God, when you take on the values of the world, when you become friend with the world, you are cheating on God. You are unfaithful. You are disloyal in your commitment to God. You are betraying your vow to God. The I do that you made, you have broken your vows. James said they, they, there is this longing and desire and lust after the lifestyle of the world, when you become the friend of the world, you long for the good old days, right? Do you remember those good old days when you were unsaved, when life was good? James, so once you start to look back at those good old days that when you weren't walking with God, it means that you are cheating, you are betraying, you are disloyal, you are unfaithful to God. James emphasizes that the value of the world are incompatible with the values of the kingdom of God. And so when you and I choose to be friends of the world, we are compromising. We are, we are compromising our allegiance to God and becoming an enemy, enemy of God. Matthew 5, 28 lightens adultery to lusting of the eyes. Jesus said, you look upon a woman, you don't commit the act. You sin. So how does friendship with the world makes one cheat on God? To be in friendship with the world means that you are in, agree in agreement with the values of the world. And no one can practice the values of two kingdoms without compromise. 
we cannot we, if, if 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 you believe that when, when when you steal or when you when 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 you lie or or when you cheat or when you when, when you when you gossip or when you slander it's nothing james says no you are you 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 you, you are in bed with the world that's not a godly principle that's not a godly value and a godly character James says to be friendship within the world means that you are you're saying I am in agreement with what the world stands for. We cheat on God when we conform to societal norms by responding to the trials the way the world does. We cheat on God when we want things to go our way instead of his way. He says, consider pure joy. We cheat on God when we say, this is how the world does it, and I do it the same way. So someone cutting on us, the world says, cuss them. We cuss them. James says you go to work and you're having a problem with your co-worker. James says you talk about them behind the back because that's how the world does it, right? That is that you are in bed with the world because God said you bless those who curse you. The world says you curse those who curse you. And we have been guilty of doing that. James, James said, you cheat on God when we flirt with the practices of the world by adopting the attitudes, the behaviors, and values that are inconsistent with the teachings of the kingdom of God. We can't mix the practices of the world with the practices of God. James said, you are deceitful. That's the practice of the world, not the kingdom. Not, that's not from the kingdom of God. James says, you, you are not generous. That's not the practice of God. That's the practice of the world. Because the world says, hoard and hide and keep. The world says, Sunday morning, you, you put on your best and you go and praise God, but you miss out on your relationship with him in the week. That's not the principle of God. God says, come near to me every day. Draw near to me every day. We can't mix the practices of the world and the practices of God together and not be an enemy of God. In verse six, James tells us that God gives greater grace to the willing lip humble, but opposes the willing lip proud. When I saw this verse, I marveled. I said, oh God, in essence, James is saying to us, grace is God's grace because of how gracious he is, is given to everyone. But he gives more grace. He gives greater grace to those who are humble. It speaks of God's sufficiency. God has no lack of grace. God has no shortage of grace. But he's very, very specific to what he does and to whom he gives more grace and greater grace. He says he gives more grace to those who willingly humble themselves before him. From verses 4 to 6, we observe that when we prioritize our relationship with God, greater grace is available. But when we prioritize our selfish and evil desires over our relationship with God and over the kingdom of God, God says, instead of grace, I will oppose you. Can you manage God's opposition? Do you understand what it means to be opposed by God? 
would you like God to oppose you because you are proud? Because he said, I give more grace to the humble. But I oppose those who are proud, those who come with selfish motives, those who are driven for evil, those who are motivated by the demonic and the earthly and the worldly and the unspiritual wisdom. James says, consider the choices that you make. Consider your daily choices. Have you been prioritizing your friendship with God or have you prioritizing your desire over the things of God? James reminds us this morning, he says, if you want God to oppose you, be proud. But if you want greater grace, be humble. My third and final point this morning is the kind of person who contractly submits draws nearer to God. In verses 7 to 10, James provides the solution to the conflict and worldly desires within us. And he offers some action steps which have transformative powers. James suggests that the solution to your conflict and my conflict James suggests that the fights that you and I find ourselves in and the quarrels and the wars that we find ourselves in, if we draw near to God in humility or humbly draw ourselves nearer to God, the problem is fixed. There is the solution. So how can you draw nearer today? First, James says to us, submit to God. I like this. I thought about it and I said, Submission, the submission that James is calling you and I to, is not a one-time thing. It's not I submit today and that settles it. No. James says it's a lifetime and a lifestyle of yielding, of surrendering. This morning it struck me. I, 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 I have tried to live my life being obedient to God even when it makes no sense. I'll do things that seems crazy. If I sense that this is what God is saying, I'll do it because I want to obey him. But this morning, the Lord said to me, if it ever, you have to take it a notch up now. I don't only want you to obey me. I want you to do it. I want you to yield willingly. I want you to enjoy obeying me. I could have obeyed God and do everything Anything that God told me to do, I'll be crying and doing it. But God says, no, Ava, that is insufficient. Where I am taking you, I want you to experience the joy of obeying me, even when those looking on, it makes no sense to them and it makes no sense to you. I want you to trust me. And so when you yield to me, you're not yielding because I am I'm an obedient child. I'm yielding because I trust my God and I know he has my best interest at heart. Do you only obey God? Or by the way, do, are you obeying God? When was the last time you obeyed something that God told you to do that made no sense? What is the most dear thing in your heart that if God says to you, give it away, you you'll find trouble doing giving it away? Or if God says to you, do this, that you'll find you'll have problem doing. 
James says, for you and I to overcome the evil and selfish desires that, are, that is plaguing us, we must draw near to God in humility by submitting first and foremost to God. We submit by giving, surrendering, yielding our will and desire to God. We by, by, by submitting, we say to God, God, you are in control. You are sovereign. You are, in, you are all authority. We acknowledge that you are the sovereign one. All authority belongs to you. And we declare to him that he is our priority. So when we sing songs like what we started out this morning with, I would rather have Jesus than silver and gold. They are not just words that we know. Our lives are saying, God, I would rather have you than everything else. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. Is, is, can, you, can, you, can you honestly say that this morning? Can you honestly say, Jesus, I would rather have you than houses and land? I'd rather be led by your nail-pierced hand. Can you honestly say that this morning? Can you honestly say to your God this morning, Father, I would rather have Jesus than anything the world can offer. Because James is saying, unless you and I learn to yield, to surrender, to submit everything about us to God, we're not ready. We're not ready. The second instruction, he says, resist the devil. And I paid attention to the order in which James instructs us. He didn't say resist the devil. Because you know, sometimes what we do, we, 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 we go into a tracing match with the enemy and we call him names. And we pray. And we, and, and, and we stand before him because we're not afraid of the devil. So we stand. But we have yet failed to acknowledge, to surrender our desires, or to yield our weaknesses and our flaws to God. You and I are no match for the enemy unless we submit to God. James said the order in which you must do this is first submit to God. A willing submission. A joyful submission. Then you are in the position to resist the enemy. Resisting the devil involves Consciously and actively opposing the enemy's influences over our minds, over our desires, and over our actions. We can't say we resist the enemy. Yet, I sit and my thoughts about you are not good. No, I'm not resisting. I'm entertaining the enemy. I can't say I'm resisting the enemy. Yet, when I go out there, I am unloving in all my ways. No, I am not resisting. I am engaging. Notice that resisting comes after submitting. And, and resisting is not a one-time act. You don't resist the enemy today and that's it. No. You constantly resist every time he comes to your mind with a thought that is not of God. Every time he brings wisdom that is not of God. Every time he tells you something that is not of God. Every time he shows you something that is not of God. You resist him. Notice that God guarantees, promise is that after you submit and resist, the enemy leaves you. 
The Bible didn't say that he lived there forever, though. Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 4 that he lived for an opportune time because he's going to come back to check. If you are available to check you out, let me see how this girl is living. Let me see how this guy is living. Are they living in accordance with, with the God they believe or, or is there room for me? The song says, I'll make room for you, Jesus. But Satan is saying, did you make room for me? Let me come in. Because wherever there is evil desire, slander, gossip, envy, jealousy, we have made room for the enemy to come in. The third instruction from James is draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Drawing near signifies or identifies an intentional approach to engage God. We intentionally draw near. Not because God is far or we're going to travel to Timbuktu to meet him. Not because we're going to drive down to Pennsylvania or go down to Jamaica to meet him. No, that's not what James is saying. We draw near not because of proximity. We draw near because we say, God, we want to entertain you. We want to be with you. We want to be intimate with you. So therefore, James is saying, it's not about going to church. We do not draw near just by going to church. That is one of the ways that we fellowship with each other so we can worship God together. James says we draw near by intentionally engaging God week, daily, minutely, secondly, hourly. Notice that what James said, that when you draw near to God, God reciprocate. God draws near to you. When you draw near to God, God draws near to you. He comes and he says, I am guaranteeing you that if you draw near to me, Ava, if you come near to me, I'm going to come near to you. He's guaranteeing that he's going to reciprocate the action, your action and my actions. God is saying to you, you can't want to come closer to me than I can come. As you move, I move. If you make two steps, I may make four. If you make five, I may make ten. But I am moving towards you because you are moving towards me. The fourth instruction. Cleanse your hearts and purify. Cleanse your hands, sorry, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. James says, your man who is friendship with the world and friend and, and, and a believer who is friendship with the world is a double-minded man. James already tells us he's unstable in all his ways because he's tossed here and he tossed there and he, he cannot know what, what to do because he's influenced by two kingdoms. James is calling us to personal holiness. Believers who keep looking back like Lot's wife, looking at the old good days, the days when I go clubbing, the days when I had all of those money, when I wasn't serving God, the days when I, James is saying, you are double-minded in all your ways. You're desiring fame and fortune. You're desiring all of that, but you're desiring it from a life that is not of God. And James is not saying that God cannot give you wisdom and wealth. Because he said, if you ask God and your desire and your motive is correct, he will give it to you if it's in alignment with his will. So James says, repent. 
Align your motive with God's standard. Let God's standard be what is the motivation of what you do. Let God's standard motivate. Let God's value motivate you. The fifth instruction, James says, this one had me. This one had me. I couldn't understand it. Because it, James is saying, where you used to laugh and rejoice, no, start mourning. Start weeping. Start grieving. This is a sign that you're truly repentant. This is a sign that you're acknowledging that, God, I have sinned. And I am in need of you. James says when you, when you weep and you mourn and you grieve, you're sending a message to God. God, I am deeply remorseful. I am in sorrow because I am repenting. When I examine my life, God, I realize that within me, within me are desires that are evil and not of you. And so I come repenting. James said, let your transformation impact you externally and internally. He said, your talk should match your walk. James said, the inner actions that no one can see. We spoke about it the other day. We talk about the tongue. That the tongue is more than the words you speak. The tongue is also the thought you think about me when I cannot, I do not know. The thought is the, the, the tongue is the thoughts that I have about you that you do not know. James says, ensure that in your repenting, that your inner actions also are being transformed. James says, when you are repentant, when you are in remorse, you every action, every part of your being is being impacted, is being influenced by a transformed mind. A transformed life shows up in many ways. The sixth instruction. In verse 10, James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. <laughs> Again, James is guaranteeing. He says, when you come, when you willingly humble yourself. You know, sometimes we ask the Lord, we say, Lord, humble us. No, no, no. There's no scripture that says God wants to humble you if you want. No, no. He's, he's always encouraging you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And listen to what God does. God lifts you up. When you and I come and we place ourselves and we recognize our need for God and we say, God, though I have the ability, I recognize I cannot do it without you. God, my decisions I will never make unless you are the one guiding and leading. My motives, God, will be influenced by your values. When you say to the Lord, Lord, all that I am is because of you and not because of how brilliant I am or because of how beautiful I look or because of what I possess or because of who I know. You're saying to God, God, you are elevated and I will stay at your feet. James says to, to, to humble, when we humble ourselves, God comes 
he, he reciprocates his actions and he, and he, and he, and he lifts us up. Hmm. So in essence, James is saying, if you want to be elevated, go low. We saw it in Philippians 2 with Jesus. The scripture tells us, Jesus who knew no sin became sin. He humbled himself and became flesh so that you and I can know Yetashina talk about it, this forgiveness this morning. So that you and I can experience forgiveness. James is saying to us that just like Jesus, when you humble yourself and bring yourself low, God elevates you. When you bring yourself low, God responds to genuine humility by lifting us up, by exalting us, by elevating us. And it doesn't mean that he comes and he gives you a governor, governor, governor position like Joseph. It may mean that he draws you closer. It may mean that he, you get an opportunity to experience more intimacy in your relationship with him. It may mean that you grow more spiritually mature. It may mean that you become complete and you lack nothing, similar to what James tells us in James 1. James is saying to you and I this morning that if we recognize that there is evil, there is sin, there is evil desire, selfish motives to us, the, 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 the solution is draw near to God and humble yourself. He said you can't do this on your own. You cannot do this on your own. We need the presence and the power of God. So we need to humble ourselves. We need to draw nearer to him. We need to submit our desires and our needs and our wants to him. All that we desire, all that we want. James said, when you come before the Lord and you put him in his proper place as God, you prioritize him and his kingdom, he can trust you with the things that you want. The truth is some of us can't be trusted with the things that we desire. Because God knows that if he gives it to us, we are missing in action. We are MIA. He knows what you and I can manage and some things he cannot give you. And I will boldly tell you, it's clear that God cannot trust me with wealth because he has withhold it from me. Because he knows that there are the tendency in me to, be, to, to find my security in what I have. And he wants me to know that he is my security. I remember years ago when I was in Jamaica in, in construction. And I knew every time I was going to collect a check, I knew. I would know because the company told me that the check was going to be ready. I knew because there was some need that came before me. And God was telling me, you need to step in and meet that need. You need to be, you are the vessel through which I want to use to meet that need. And then I'll be waiting for a check for months. And the check comes just when I hear about somebody's need because God is saying, no, this money is not only for you, Ava. It's also for my daughter, for my son that I want you to share it with. Because God knows that my tendency is to, I would lock it away so tight in the bank, nobody could find it. He knows my tendency. He knows me that I'm, that I'm mere dust and that when I have money, I want to save. God knows that side of me. What does God know about you? Why he has withheld what you have been asking for? Can God trust you with the thing that you desire? 
Are you the, a good steward of the thing? Will you be a good steward of the thing that you're asking God for? Is that desire motivated by a selfish action, ambition or a selfish desire? Will that desire being met cause you to be MIA, missing in action? James says to you and I that the cure for evil is drawing near to God in humility. James tells us that God has so much grace that he gives greater grace and greater grace and more grace and more grace. And the more you get, James, you think you can be humble enough for God's grace? No, he has so much grace that the more humble you are, is the more grace he gives you. God is looking for people we can trust. God is looking for the kind of person who can contritely submit. God is looking for a person who will willingly submit to him with a penitent heart, not because they must, but because they want to. There's a big difference between you and I wanting to do something and when we must do it. God don't want us to submit to him in out of compulsion. God don't want us to do it because we are forced to or we're trying to get something from him and we know how to do it as children or parents. We know how to get what we do and as, even as they become older, I remember batting my eyes going in the tax office and wanting to get through quickly and just batting my eyes with, 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 with any young man that I see just to, for him to call me to the front of the line. God knows how we do, but God is saying to us, you cannot bat your eyes to get me to move. You cannot cry in out of fear to get me to move. Your values must be in alignment with my values. Your desires must be in alignment with my desires. James is calling us to be introspective. See what is lurking inside of you. See what is motivating you. See what is there inside of you. Because if there's conflict, there's war, there are quarrels, there are infighting, there are bad motives, there, there's hostility, there is animosity, there is controversy. There's bad feeling to each other. James says, once those are present, evil motives is also present. Evil desires and selfish motives are present. And the harmony and the peace and unity of the church is being interfered with because you and I have wrong motives. Because you and I are constantly quarreling and fighting you and I are in conflict. You and I are at war. So this morning, will you stop and identify the root cause of the conflict in your life? Will you stop and see how are you being influenced? Are you being influenced by the things of God? Will you stop and see how 
Is my self-sufficiency affecting my relationship with God? How is my lack of faith influencing my re relationship? With God? How is my misunderstanding of God's nature and who God is and his attributes and his characteristics and his essence? How is my misunderstanding of God messing up with my relationship with God? James says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you humble yourself before God, he will elevate you. If you prioritize your relationship with God, you will become his priority. My sisters and brothers, we cannot continue to mix the practices of the world with the practices of God. And I speak to myself this morning. I cannot continue to harbor thoughts in my mind that are not of God again about you. I can, cannot continue to do the thing that I have done and have been doing that have been disrupting the peace within the church. And so God is calling you and he's calling me this morning to draw near. Will you draw near with me? Can we come nearer this morning to God? Can we wash our hands this morning and purify our hearts this morning? Can we repent this morning before God? 